Hi everyone, this is Corina and Angel. Welcome to The Human Show, proudly presented and supported by worldpodcast.com. Here we explore the relationships between people, technology and business. Join us on this journey where we interview anthropologists, other researchers and industry people from all over the world, from India to Kenya, US, Europe, to right back here in New Zealand. Hi friends, in today's episode we are talking to José Manuel dos Santos, Head of Design and User Experience Americas at Signify, former Philips Lighting. We talked to José about insight and good design, about how to find and scale an insight across organizational silos. We also cover the origin of his interest in social science and his experience working with applied anthropologists. Lastly, we talk about the value of the academic and applied anthropology fields to business design, and he offers advice on how to get started connecting them. We hope you enjoy it. Um, hi, Jose. Hello. Nice to have you with us today. Um, we're going to go right into it and ask you our first questions, which we love to ask to our um, industry perspective guests. And that would be, how would you define an insight? <laughs> okay. This is a hot topic. I think everybody is um, always discussing insights. Well, I can tell you what is not. I don't think an insight is an observation. And I don't think an insight is also a, a, a hunch. And so a lot of times those are... Um, uh, confused for insights. I think they all uh, are important. They all have a role to play. Um, but an insight for me is when you actually connect a number of dots that are not uh, typically uh, connectable, but that you're able to connect them in a way that it makes sense. And it's through the connection of those um, uh, dots that you create an insight. And hopefully that insight is something that um, might... Um, strike in the beginning as being uh, in some way um, new, but it should uh, in somehow after people understand the dots that the insight is connecting, they should be able to relate to it. If an insight is something where people uh, are that connect the dots are the only people that are able to connect those dots, typically that's not called necessarily an insight, mm. could be an opinion. But insights usually are something that when they're, uh, when they're stated, in the beginning, they might um, not be completely um, easy to understand or to understand where they came from. But if you explain and the different dots that you are connecting in order to generate that insight, it should be easy or at least acceptable that the majority of people will understand why that is an insight. Mm. Sounds a lot like um, how we as anthropologists work with the concept of culture. Um, you know, mm -hmm. like making the making the invisible visible um, in a in a way mm -hmm. that kind of is real because others validate it as being real once they see it. Otherwise, it's just yes. in your own head. <laughs> yes. Um, Jose, um, what has been your path so far working with um, in that in this space? In the space by you by space you mean the space of anthropology? No, in the space of insights. In the space of insights, well. As a designer, um, and I am a trained industrial designer, even though um, uh, I've been managing design and designers um, uh, throughout uh, my entire life, and, and um, insights have been crucial because it's based on insights that you end up having either uh, good or bad design outputs. Mm -hmm. 
Um, the quality of the insights for me is critical and crucial for the quality of the design output. Um, the majority of times um, you can trace uh, a, a bad um, a design solution uh, to usually either uh, bad or inexistent or uh, uncooked uh, mm -hmm. insights. Um, if you have good insights, it doesn't necessarily mean you might end up with a good design solution, yeah. but it certainly helps. So I usually, I am usually the guy that asks, where's this coming from? How do you know this to be true? Mm -hmm. What did you exactly do in order to get here? And can I look at how you got here? Mm -hmm. Which sometimes for some people makes them um, uncomfortable. <laughs> Uh, but it's because um, understanding that is crucial uh, for us to then generate a design process. Mm. Can you give us an example of a, of a favorite insight for, that you've worked with in your career? Um, so we're, we're usually um, um, working, you know, there's a lot of different people that uh, collect different data uh, from, and some people call it voice of the customer, some people call it, Uh, different names, but these are things that we get, you know, from uh, different people that work with us as as partners. And their work is valuable because um, they are the people that usually are, um, you know, on the streets and they're contacting partners and customers and different things. But um, sometimes, um, and this is a kind of a joke that I use uh, internally, sometimes in a company we might get a feedback, which is usually what I call more lumens. Lumens is how you measure lighting output and 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 it's it's you know more lumens is a type of feedback where sometimes it doesn't really get us anywhere you know um, and if you if you don't ask the right questions if you don't mm -hmm. engage and sometimes it's you have to actually do more than ask questions you have to go into you know ethnography observation you have to mm -hmm. understand different ways of catching reality but if you just ask you know typically what you get back is more lumens so what we ask, you know, usually is, you know, what is behind that? We have situations where, and I'm not necessarily going into the details, but we have situations where um, a product for a specific application is something that is being, let's say, asked mm -hmm. for. And uh, sometimes it's even asked by different people, more than one people, more than one person. But then you need to understand what are the... Um, Uh, what are the, the different trends? What are the uh, different uh, um, you know concepts that are tied to that, so that that insight then becomes real? And we have a lot of situations where uh, our products then go from being more lumens to being something which is different, which is based on what is the real need, what are mm -hmm. the pains and gains that mm -hmm. might be behind that request, and so we try to understand uh, you know the real insight under that product. Just to clarify for our listeners, could you just tell us a bit more about what you do and, you know, what excites you about it? Sure. Um, so I am a, I manage a group of uh, designers, in this case, uh, uh, different uh, sorts of designers from industrial designers that um, typically, you know, uh, are there to design, in this case, luminaires and products in the lighting industry to what we call user experience and user interface designers, which are there to um, uh, to uh, think about and plan and uh, structure uh, digital products, uh, be it uh, web-based or app-based. We also have uh, people in my particular team, which is people researchers, so 
um, in this case, she's actually a trained, um, you know, coming from the area of uh, people research in terms of anthropology and ethnography. So that's her base. Mm-hmm. And then we, we, we have like data visualizers also working here in our team. So different people that collaborate through this uh, mm-hmm. design output. Now, my team is part of a global design team. And that global design team uh, includes even other types of designers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have some, we have a team that dedicates itself only to exploration design, which is the exploring the frontier of lighting design in terms of experiences, uh, crafting experiences, and that. And we and in that we might have people that actually work in the border between lighting and sound. So we have different sorts of design. But my team for the Americas is basically built of um, industrial designers, UX, UI designers. People research and data visualization. Mm. How's it like to work with an anthropologist, uh, Jose? What has been your experience so far? Um, my 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 idea is that they they are the ones that call uh, that call us to the, the call to the attention things that are like you've said that are not in the visible eye, and and a lot of times it's it's connected to behavior and to uh, attitude and to um, context. Mm -hmm. And also um, what I usually like about them is that um, they are much more about, they're very little judgmental in the sense that they're much more about understanding and depicting people as they are than necessarily about trying to make any sorts of judgment or any sorts of, um, so it's very much about contextualizing. It's very much about connecting behaviors uh, to uh, to context and to the people themselves, and then to trying to uh, back up that with information that goes beyond the, let's say, the pure asking people or even just observing. Uh, you know, they typically try to engage uh, with different ways uh, on, on to, in order to get that kind of picture. So I, what I, my experience has been that they're, if, if you give them the right space and the right time, they will give you a sort of, of uh, depth and also a breadth of of that uh, situation, which is usually um, makes them a, a different type of person to work with. Mm. Uh, and I'm generalizing. I'm sure that there's uh, good and bad uh, people in your uh, in this area, just as there are in design and many other areas. But when you are working with somebody that has a certain level of experience and has done this in the past and and is good at what uh, he or she does, then this is what you typically get back. Mm. Is it the process of um, getting comfortable in a team with people that kind of come from completely different backgrounds? How how can you make as a team leader that process kind of easier or, or better? Or, you know, like one of the challenges that we've seen at least here... Um, within that space of design and experience is people come from all sorts of walks of life into that space. And then you put them together in a team and they have to find a harmony. It is. um, I think that um, in the last 10 to 15 years, this idea of of, of putting different people in different teams has become, um, well, I would say that it's more than a fashion. It's become in many many cases uh, an obligation. And also, a lot of people have tied that to even to changes in space. You know, I think the the whole idea of open space was also to end up with these groups that would uh, uh, that would uh, group them uh, themselves in their silos. And so, so a lot of this has come. But I don't think sometimes enough attention has been 
dedicated to understanding not only the impact on people, but also the impact on the work that uh, these um, um, ideas, which are uh, great ideas, but uh, sometimes they fail uh, exactly at the level that uh, of what you've just described. I can only talk about my own experience. Uh, so first is recognizing this, which sometimes you might find people um, um, that are less um, prone to recognizing that these people do come from different areas, have different ways of working, have different speeds, have different, um, you know, different things. I, I, I remember I once did a, a training where, um, uh, you know, they they used color post-its for people to put, to um, define the importance that they gave to certain things in their lives and how they do things. And then they put all the post-its side by side <laughs> on the different people and it looked like well, it looked like DNA, which is the reality of people, um, that we all have different DNA. So what I do typically in my case is I find two areas that um, end up being crucial. One is processes and tools. Mm. So by allowing shared processes and tools. And the other one is allowing a shared space for people to work together on, on certain things. But also uh, then allow space for people to um you know, to exercise their uh, uh, profession, their job, their, their, you know, a as they see fit. And that sometimes has to do with space, has to do with um, timing. It has to do with, um, you know, it has to do with different ways that people end up choosing to do their job. But if you align on a certain number of processes and tools, and if you also create some areas which are shared spaces, uh, and when I call space, this might be a physical space, mm -hmm. a virtual space, or or a work in terms of project space. Then, then you allow people to allow, to make these decisions about when they are, um, you know, sharing what they are sharing, how they are sharing, and when they are doing it. Yeah, it it, it reminds me of of the work that sometimes is being done in the organizational development space when mm -hmm. you kind of. Um, the, the organization comes with this very complex question of what, what does the culture want? What makes them happy? What processes and tools do we need to get them to collaborate when they are so diverse? And mm -hmm. um, so often the time the answer is, have you, you know, just giving them power or to kind of start experimenting with things, to start just figuring out everybody wants to work together efficiently and in harmony? Yes, you know? yes. Yes, but this is, I mean, this very quickly can become utopia just mm. because um, in reality, um, you know, culture is made of, um, of a number of, of hybrid cultures that sometimes try to group themselves. But we also know that in many cases, there's always a predominant culture. And it's how that predominant culture relates and, um, and um, works with all the other, let's say, subcultures that you end up having a very strong culture united culture yes but um but this this is um uh, you know for and there's different people you know the organizational people that are looking into it in terms of design there's also of course a lot of hr especially the ones that are not just about hiring and firing there's a lot of hr people that are concerned with this that are trying to do this of course anybody that wants to drive innovation that wants to drive growth is also interested because they understand that uh doing this or not doing this correctly will impact largely on speed and on also on focus. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, this is, this is a concern of many, many different people that work at, uh, that look at organizations. Um, 
but uh, between those that try to create um, and align people so that they um, are close enough in terms of culture and those that really want culture to be made of many different uh, subcultures, then you will find um, different extremes of this experience that mm. say that. Yeah. So that is a very good segue into my next question would be that that has to do with how your department that is with design links to other departments inside the organization to kind of, um, you know, keep that insights, um, insights objective of, of being fulfilled in a good product happen, right? Because in a big organization, it's not, it's not just the responsibility probably of one department um, to handle it, but it's all of those interlocking systems that have to somehow come together to deliver a great product or a great experience? Um, so I, I wouldn't sit here and say this is all easy and it runs mm -hmm. like, uh, like a, a beautiful uh, oil machinery because I don't think that actually many organizations can say that, not, not even the ones that like to brag about it. So this is a work in progress for every organization and for changing organization like us that work in a market that's actually rapidly changing. Um, then this is a constant, um, it's a constant dialogue and that's probably the best way that I can put it. So design is, is core and it's central. It's an, it's an important function. You know, my boss reports directly to, you know, to the chief innovation officer who reports to the CEO. So we're, we're, you know, and, you know, we can't uh, forget that um, Philips uh, Lighting, which today, uh, by the way, uh, we will soon enough uh, become uh, Signify as a company. Uh, but um, uh, we come from a tradition of 129 years of, um, of innovation and actually uh, about 90 years of structured design. Mm -hmm. One of the first companies in the world that had, that had chief design officers responding directly to CEOs. So we have a lot of, a lot of tradition. But just because of that, you know, uh, I don't think that I could sit here and say this work is done and we <laughs> and we've cracked it and we know exactly how to do this. So the dialogue is to try to understand who are the functions that actually relate to the market uh, and and have as a job, as mm -hmm. a job description, that's what they do. That's what they're supposed to do every day, mm -hmm. to be out there in contact either with either our partners or with our, I don't like the word, but it's used many times with our stakeholders or with our customers. Um, um, and so, and, and so to try and work with them so that they collaborate with us based on what they know and what they feel that they would like to know and they uh, don't know for many different reasons and try to bring an extra lens on top of that through design research, through qualitative engagement and through focusing sometimes on parts of our, um, let's say, on our, of our ecosystem mm -hmm. that are less uh, 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 cared about just because uh, you know, they have a lot of responsibilities, they have, uh, you know, they have budgets, they have timings, they have all of these things, and so they cannot reach everywhere. So it's not that the work that we do is a work that is supposed to substitute any of their work. Usually the work that we do is to try to stitch it all together and to, um, you know, bring that um, image, bring that um, um, concept, bring that idea, bring that solution that comes out of the um, stitching of all these different things. And so designers by trade have this a set of tools that allow us to um, uh, communicate, uh, hopefully, uh, uh, effectively, uh, ideas and concepts. 
uh, and sometimes that could be um, done in a very powerful way that um, sometimes can make people uh, get there uh, faster in terms of understanding why something is actually a good idea by, um, you know, visualizing sometimes and communicating things in a way that makes it easy for people to grasp it. And so this is what we're supposed to be doing. So on the one side, uh, engaging, collecting, you know, insights, information, mm-hmm. knowledge from all the partners that are in the street, asking questions, uh, defining opportunities for us to go out and get extra uh, knowledge, information, insights, uh, using tools uh, that are um, at our disposal f- to do that, and then stitching um, some of this information together in a way and creating uh, concepts, um, um, ideas, uh, innovation, mm-hmm. and presenting it back to the organization so that they can then um, uh, reflect and also connect to other dots that we are unable to connect because we do not grasp all the um, um, all the different layers that sometimes, um, both from a business and a market uh, point of view, uh, they have to in order to um, in order to define if something should be taken on or not. But above all, we all have a responsibility. I owe, you know I had a CEO that used to say that no organization can survive if they only have one door in. Um, so we have to create many doors to access the company so that we, it can be walked back and forth. Of course, companies also run on efficiency. Mm-hmm. And so if you have, you know, if you have a, um, a place that's got a thousand doors uh, of people coming in and out uh, all the time, you might have an issue. So it needs to, so that balance needs to be found, which is um, making sure that we have all the uh, right uh, doors to access uh, the market, to access reality, to access to access the future and context, and then making sure that we are capable of stitching all that and to create mm-hmm. uh, powerful ideas that can then be adopted by the organization. Yeah. I was wondering how does a researcher kind of help with that kind of translation um, between the outside world and the inside world of the organization? Do you, do you use research in such way? Yes. So we have specific parts of, uh, of global design that are dealing with research uh, on a continuous basis. Um, and, uh, and in a certain way, all designers have to, if not execute research, they have to identify opportunities for research. Um, and so um, we might have researchers that are working on, on, on the longer term vision of defining uh, which are the trends, which are the... Um, which are the things that are happening in the market that might need to get um, bought in and also looked at and understood. And bringing that in sometimes is a process for research because mm-hmm. you can go from desk research to, to many different ways of, of yeah. getting that information and those insights and those trends inside. But then we have researchers that are working on very pragmatic approaches. We might have people um, that are uh, just helping with us um, and establishing a certain vision with a very specific group of people. So mm-hmm. it's about defining what is the best way to engage those people. And sometimes it might be through one-on-ones, it might be through observation, it might be through engaging through digital platforms, it might be different things. Mm-hmm. And what the researchers do is to identify, to ask the questions so that we get to what to the real why, yeah. why we're doing this, because many times... That is the first 
you know, great uh, challenge, which is to get to the to the to the good why, to the real why we are doing this, and then to effectively come up with the right questions. Then, based on that, come up with the right process, come up with the right tool to get to the, you know, to the objective, and then execute, and then at the end also uh, to be able to bring um, their sometimes a certain kind of um, distance from what people are doing to try and be as uh, powerful, but at the same time as um, um, distant enough from the, from mm-hmm. whatever it's been provided so that people have can really go in there and understand what's that assessment. And then you can always go in there with your professional expert uh, eyes mm-hmm. and read into things and make your own decisions. But it's always interesting to start with uh, uh, people that are connecting not only what they're looking at, but connecting to other things yeah. that they might be doing. And so that kind of perspective is really uh, important and useful. Mm. So what kind of um, values do you, what kind of things do you value in a researcher? Hmm. Um, so I think we we're talking about the why. So an, an inquisitive mind for me is, is very important. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, one of the things I look for researchers is something that I sometimes lack, which is the <laughs> capacity to listen. I, I'm, um, I have to acknowledge that I, 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 I find myself sometimes um, making a lot of um, um, making a lot of my mind through conversation, and I, I always like a researcher that spends more time listening than actually uh, talking. So, and. Um, capability, you know, listening capabilities, and, and we, people call it active listening, which is just one other way of saying listening, because in active listening, I wouldn't even know what that means sometimes, but okay. Uh, so listening, uh, curiosity, but structured curiosity, mm-hmm. uh, but also this, this capability of connecting dots that are seemingly not connected in the minds of other people. Um, and so the the more they are capable of uh, connecting these dots in a way that suddenly when you are told, you know, they, they make sense and you kind of wonder for yourself, darn, why, why did I never <laughs> think of that? Or why hasn't every, anybody just looked at that and seen that? So that kind of aha moment of connecting things in a very particular way is, is something that I really value. And then, of course, more and more uh, researchers end up needing to be storytellers because the 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 reality that they're engaged with uh, can be uh, if they if it if they're not storytellers they can it can be very dense and it can be very uh, full of detail which mm-hmm. is very important but then it, unless they are capable of turning that into a story that kind of that it, that uh, people relate to. And then many times it's just really chunks of data, mm-hmm. which is important, but it's far more important when you do something with it. Yeah. By storytelling, I um, I'm, I don't mean necessarily, you know, embellishing and um, and doing things that sometimes um, might um, take out the virtue of of the uh, data and of the um, knowledge that is there, but by um, stitching things in a way so that when you relate uh, to people, they can, it resonates with them mm-hmm. and they can really um, connect to and understand where it's coming from. 
I know some of our listeners are contemplating going into applied anthropology, uh, anthropology space. And um, there's quite a big difference between academic anthropology and applied one. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's not an easy decision to make to cross that uh, in between those mm-hmm. two worlds. So I was wondering if you have any advice for some of our listeners that are kind of contemplating um, entering the applied space. Like, what are some of the things that they need to be reflecting on? Um, yeah. And, and if they have decided to do that, then what would be a, an easy way in? Uh, so, yeah, from, from quite a long time ago, since I started actually contacting, relating to anthropologists, I found this as um, it's not unique to the anthropologists, by the way, but that they had this very um, kind of a line in the sand between the people that um, – do academic uh, anthropology and those that goes into applied. So I understood very early that these folks are not very popular uh, between the anthropologists because they uh, consider, you know, others consider that they sold their souls to the devil. And so a lot of that conversation was around this. But in reality, you know, uh, one of the, we just uh, engaged actually through design research, uh, what we call early career lighting designers, um, and and one of the things that they said applies a little bit to this. They said that they enjoyed very much their profession because it was the right balance between art and science. And I think that applied applied anthropology can sometimes be seen as that which is the right balance between academics and and real world or business. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, it, I I think that people, all of us, we live in a space where we are um, one way or another tied to. Um, uh, let's say um, some sort of business structures that either regiment our lives or that we are regimented by them. Um, everybody, one way or another, uh, needs to have some sort of um, um, a substantial way to make their living, and you know, so we're so all of this as part of our lives, part of our structure. And so, having people that are able to understand people, but also understand this other structure that is all surrounding us and it's part of what we are and creates a very uh, significant context to all our lives i think it's it's a really it actually should be seen as a noble thing to do um i'm not saying that the folks that like to sit just on the side looking at people um as people and people in context but with trying to in a certain way trying to um extract people from that context i you know i i commend those that are capable of embracing a little bit of 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 this thing and finding that balance if you do not find that balance if you go completely Mm -hmm. into let's say into the application and not enough into the uh, human part then then you probably are not going to uh, really add value um, to, to to where you are going and if you stay also too much um, on the outside looking in, you're probably not going to have the level of understanding and engagement that you mm. need to become valuable. So I think it's important. I think that it should be commended. And I, I just wish more uh, people uh, entered and that they uh, presented themselves um, to the table and ready to kind of be part of teams and engaged because I do think that they add a certain type of value that is not um, typically done. The way that I would uh, suggest for them to come in is actually showing the value of the work um, 
through either personal projects or working with companies or other people to try and explain how that is. I do think that a lot of times people still do not understand the value and do not understand exactly how it works. They might look at it through the lenses of it's too expensive and it slows down the process, which is typically what is used to describe why people are not doing this. Um, um, uh, of course, there's also people that uh, will not engage uh, with this type of work because they think that it's um, that it doesn't add value, that it's that it's um, you know that it's something that it cannot be quantified, yeah. and if therefore if it's not quantifiable, then it's probably not very valuable. But those will have a let's say a harder time to understand or to make that. Um, um, that trajectory towards uh, understanding the value of this. But I think that with so much um, human-centric conversation going on, user experience conversations going on, um, um, so much uh, focus on um, citizen, community, person, I I think that um, there's less and less people that wouldn't value that. I think they just Mm. need to understand what exactly do you do, how exactly do you go about it, what is the typical uh, output, deliverable, whatever you want to call it, that gets out of it? And how can it be used to create better things, services, products, uh, and things? Because these four questions, I think, they're still not completely understood by the majority of people that I at least engage yeah. with. Are you aware of any um, outreach programs that exist in, the, in your design space to connect to academia, to speak to? people that are graduating or um, PhD students that might consider um, exploring those questions? Well, actually, we, we, we have in different in the different corners done by different teams. In my team, I have actually uh, Sarah, who's our people researcher, Sarah. She, she is here through a co-op, um, and, and she is because we reached out to universities with this type of uh, training and asked for um, to have uh, somebody from that area. So... Um, this is something that we do. I believe other organizations um, do it uh, more or less efficiently, um, more or less uh, in a structured way. But um, I do think that this is, you know, it's, it's normal and it's becoming more and more normal. You know, some people might call it different names, you know, if it's a co-op or if it's an internship or if it's a you know, so you might have different names, but or, or outreach, but but and then there's you know clear collaborations with the universities that are doing very specific things um, in this area. But for me, in my case, I identified um, universities that are training this type of people, and I reached mm-hmm. out specifically. Yeah. And just as a one last question, where does your interest come from? Um, I know from from my experience so far talking to people in the in the business space, you are a kind of a, an exception. Honestly, somebody that is able to articulate so well um, the value of social science that um, it's not something that I found um, so far. So I was wondering what, what drove your, um, your interest into, into that? So I'll tell you because it actually it's based on a, on, on a deficiency from my part. And, and, and this is what has led me to study more and to understand more. I'm just probably like many other people, I am. Uh, truly opinionated about many things that surround <laughs> me. And God knows that sometimes those opinions are uh, very much built on um, experience for sure, but they also have to do with my gut and my own way to perceive reality around me. 
And of course, as a designer, very early you understand that you want to take this whole converse, this whole uh, debate about opinions out. You know, I train my designers to as soon as people say, "I like," "I disliked," you know, to kind of stop the conversation there. And also for us as a team, as designers, never mm-hmm. to engage. So as designers, you are trained to try and find as much um, confirmation, information to create hypotheses, to go out and do the groundwork so that you can then formulate uh, whatever you know, direction that you are trying to do in a very uh, sustained manner. And I found that in many areas, it's fairly easy for you to go out, but when it comes to people, to understanding people, mm-hmm. understanding their real intentions, behavior, the difference between what they say and what they actually do, and etc. I mean, what I found very early is why don't we you know, why don't you engage with people that do this for a living? And and then and then you can it's easier for you then to formulate direction and to formulate um, uh, and to structure, you know, um, um, these things if you have that type of. So I do look for people that that might do that as a profession that are trained about doing this, that have a combination of tools uh, mm-hmm. uh, that allows them to do that work. You know, uh, because basically I I feel myself deficient in doing that part of the work. I mean, I know how to, you know, I don't know how to look at products and and assess them from a, a product point of view, performance, usability, human factors. There's there's a number of different areas of tools that we're kind of taught and that I feel more or less comfortable in using many of these things, but. When it comes to, to, you know, to humans as a subject and exactly, uh, you know, what might go on in their, in their, uh, in their brains and how they articulate uh, themselves and how they relate to the things that you create. I always found it uh, first hard to get to. I believe that is the probably the people like to say that X amount of products fail in the market. And I do think that that failure is connected to this lack of understanding of people and to creating a lot of assumption, to not recognizing biases, and to basically not doing the work. So, mm-hmm. you know, every time I can, I try to do the work. Do I always do it? No. Uh, do I always want to do it? Um, yes, majority of times. Oh, I love it. I wish, I wish more, um, yeah, I, I wish more people would kind of see that. But I, I agree with you. I think, I think this is the time. And with all those complex human problems that we have nowadays um, and with the expanding world of, of the social technologies, it, it, will, it is happening. So, um, yeah, an exciting time to be an applied anthropologist. And I do think so. <laughs> for our listeners out there, Jose is going to speak at an applied anthropology conference in Europe in, I think, in June, right? October. Or October. Yes. Unless you guys change the date no. <laughs> telling me, but yes. It's October in Lisbon, right? Yes. I think the event is called Why Does the World Need Anthropologists? Um, it's a long title, but then they've, I think they've uh, summarized that by the initials. Um, so, but if you look for that, you will probably yeah. find. Um, there's a couple of people uh, that I'm related to that I've worked with in the past that are uh, anthropologists by training and that... They uh, invited me. I've, I've explained that I am not an anthropologist. I'm just somebody that has worked with and is, in a certain way, I'm a fan of, of anthropologists mm-hmm. um, um, and, and anthropology in itself, applied anthropology, at least, or commercial ethnography. And and so, and I accept it because also um, 
I'm actually in Europe for a different uh, uh, reason. And so basically that uh, kind of um, makes it a possible combination. Yeah, I, I will put the link in our podcast um, for those of our listeners that um, that want to check it out and maybe even go hear Jose speak to the topic um, at the conference. So, um, yeah, Jose, thank you so much for um, giving us your time today. Um, I know, at least for me, it's been a wonderful experience um, to have somebody uh, from the design and business space articulate so well um, the value of social science and anthropology to your work. So, yeah, thank you again. Yes, and uh, there's more people in my organization that uh, if you talk to, you'll feel that. So I'm not actually the only one, and that's good because uh, it's always bad to be the only one that thinks in a certain way. So there's quite a number of people in design and also in Philips Lighting Signify um, that believe in the same. Um, I think that uh, reality sometimes um, uh, um, mandates us to work in a certain way and that creates a situation where we are all part of the problem and part of the solution. So a lot of times instead of just excusing ourselves, the reality is that maybe there is a little bit more, there's need for more information, for more knowledge sharing, for more flexibility, for more understanding uh, so that maybe we can do more things together. So just pointing fingers usually doesn't really solve anything. Thank you for listening, everyone. Follow us on our social media channels and look at the show notes for links to our speaker's work. Join us next time for more interesting conversations.